Wessex Tales. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tyg Hines. Interlopers at the Knapp by Thomas Hardy. Chapter Three. It was with strange feelings that the girl and her mother, lately so cheerful, passed out of the back door into the open air of the barton, laden with hay scents and the herby breath of cows. A fine sleet had begun to fall, and they trotted across the yard quickly. The stable door was slightly open, a light shone from it from the lantern which always hung there, and which Philip had lighted as he had said. Softly nearing the door, Mrs. Hall pronounced the name, Helena. There was no answer for the moment. Looking in, she was taken by surprise. Two people appeared before her. For one, instead of the drabbish woman she had expected, Mrs. Hall saw a pale, dark-eyed, ladylike creature, whose personality ruled her attire rather than was ruled by it. She was in a new and handsome gown, of course, and an old bonnet. She was standing up agitated. Her hand was held by her companion, none else than Sally's affianced. Farmer Charles Darton, upon whose fine figure the pale stranger's eyes were fixed, as his were fixed upon her. His other hand held the rein of his horse, which was standing saddled as if just led in. At sight of Mrs. Hall they both turned, looking at her in a way neither quite conscious or unconscious, and without seeming to recollect that words were necessary as a solution to the scene. In another moment Sally entered also when Mr. Darton dropped his companion's hand, led the horse aside, and came to greet his betrothed and Mrs. Hall. "'Ah,' he said, smiling, with something like forced composure, "'this is a roundabout way of arriving, you will say, my dear Mrs. Hall. But we lost our way, which made us late. I saw a light here and led in my horse at once. My friend John's and my man have gone back to the little inn with theirs, not to crowd you too much.' No sooner had I entered than I saw that this lady had taken temporary shelter here, and found I was intruding. "'She is my daughter-in-law,' said Mrs. Hall, calmly. "'My son, too, is in the house, but he has gone to bed unwell.' Sally stood staring wonderingly at the scene until this moment, hardly recognizing Darton's shake of the hand. The spell that bound her was broken by her perceiving the two little children seated on a heap of hay. She suddenly went forward, spoke to them, and took one on her arm and the other in her hand. "'And two children,' said Mr. Darton, showing thus that he had not been there long enough as yet to understand the situation. "'My grandchildren,' said Mrs. Hall, with as much affected ease as before. Philip Hall's wife, in spite of this interruption to her first encounter, seemed scarcely so much affected by it as to feel anyone's presence in addition to Mr. Darton's. However, arousing herself by a quick reflection, she threw a sudden critical glance of her sad eyes upon Mrs. Hall, and, apparently finding her satisfactory, advanced to her in a meek initiative. Then Sally and the stranger spoke some friendly words to each other, and Sally went on with the children into the house. Mrs. Hall and Helena followed, and Mr. Darton followed these, looking at Helena's dress and outline, and listening to her voice like a man in a dream. By the time the others had reached the house Sally had already gone upstairs with the tired children. She rapped against the wall for Rebecca to come in and help to attend to them, Rebecca's house being a little spit-and-daub cabin leaning against the substantial stonework of Mrs. Hall's taller erection. When she came a bed was made up for the little ones and some supper given to them. On descending the stairs after seeing this done Sally went to the sitting-room. 
Young Mrs. Hall entered it just in advance of her, having in the interim retired with her mother-in-law to take off her bonnet, and otherwise make herself presentable. Hence it was evident that no further communication could have passed between her and Mr. Darton, since their brief interview in the stable. Mr. Japheth Johns now opportunely arrived and broke up the restraint of the company after a few orthodox meteorological commentaries had passed between him and Mrs. Hall, by way of introduction. They at once sat down to supper, the present of wine and turkey not being produced for consumption to-night, lest the premature display of those gifts should seem to throw doubt on Mrs. Hall's capacities as a provider. "'Drink hearty, Mr. Johns, drink hearty,' said that matron magnanimously. "'Such as there is, there's plenty of.' but perhaps cider wine is not to your taste, though there's body in it." "'Quite the contrary, ma'am, quite the contrary,' said the dairyman, for though I inherit the malt liquor principle from my father, I am a cider drinker on my mother's side. She came from these parts, you know. And there's this to be said for it, tis a more peaceful liquor, and don't lie about a man like your hotter drinks. With care one may live on it a twelvemonth without knocking down a neighbour or getting a black eye from an old acquaintance. The general conversation thus began was continued briskly, though it was in the main restricted to Mrs. Hall and Japheth, who in truth required but little help from anybody. There being slight call upon Sally's tongue, she had ample leisure to do what her heart most desired, namely watch her intended husband and her sister-in-law with a view of elucidating the strange momentary scene in which her mother and herself had surprised them in the stable. If that scene meant anything it meant at least that they had met before. That there had been no time for explanation Sally could see, for their manner was still one of suppressed amazement at each other's presence there. Darton's eyes, too, fell continually on the gown worn by Helena, as if this were an added riddle to his perplexity, though to Sally it was the one feature in the case which was no mystery. He seemed to feel that fate had impishly changed his vis-a-vis -vis in the lover's jig he was about to foot, that while the gown had been expected to enclose a Sally, a Helena's face looked out from the bodice, that some long-lost hand met his own from the sleeves. Sally could see that whatever Helena might know of Darton, she knew nothing of how the dress entered into his embarrassment, and at moments the young girl would have persuaded herself that Darton's looks at her sister-in-law were entirely the fruit of the clothes query. But surely at other times a more extensive range of speculation and sentiment was expressed by her lover's eye than that which the changed dress would account for. Sally's independence made her one of the least jealous of women, but there was something in the relations of these two visitors which ought to be explained. Japheth Johns continued to converse in his well-known style, interspersing his talk with some private reflections on the position of Darton and Sally, which, though the sparkle in his eyes showed them to be highly entertaining to himself, were apparently not quite communicable to the company. At last he withdrew for the night going off to the roadside inn half a mile back, whither Darton promised to follow him in a few minutes. Half an hour passed, and then Mr. Darton also rose to leave, Sally and her sister-in-law simultaneously wishing him good-night as they retired upstairs to their rooms. But on his arriving at the front door with Mrs. Hall a sharp shower of rain began to come down, when the widow suggested that he should return to the fireside till the storm ceased. Darton accepted her proposal but insisted that, as it was getting late and she was obviously tired, she should not sit up on his account, since he could let himself out of the house, and would quite enjoy smoking a pipe by the hearth alone. 
Mrs. Hall assented, and Darton was left by himself. He spread his knees to the brands, lit up his tobacco, as he had said, and sat gazing into the fire and at the notches of the chimney-crook which hung above. An occasional drop of rain rolled down the chimney with a hiss, and still he smoked on, but not like a man whose mind was at rest. In the long run, however, despite his meditations, early hours of field and a long ride in the open air produced their natural result. He began to doze. How long he remained in this half-unconscious state he did not know. He suddenly opened his eyes. The back brand had burnt itself in two, and ceased to flame. The light which he had placed on the mantelpiece had nearly gone out. But in spite of these deficiencies there was a light in the apartment, and it came from elsewhere. Turning his head he saw Philip Hall's wife standing at the entrance of the room, with a bed-candle in one hand and a small brass tea-kettle in the other, and his gown, as it certainly seemed, still upon her. "'Helena,' said Darton, starting up. Her countenance expressed dismay, and her first words were an apology. "'I did not know you were here, Mr. Darton,' she said, while a blush flashed to her cheek. "'I thought every one had retired. I was coming to make a little water-boil. My husband seems to be worse. But perhaps the kitchen-fire can be lighted up again. Don't go on my account. By all means put it on here as you intended,' said Darton. "'Allow me to help you.' He went forward to take the kettle from her hand, but she did not allow him and placed it on the fire herself. They stood some way apart, one on each side of the fireplace, waiting till the water should boil, the candle on the mantel between them, and Helena with her eyes on the kettle. Darton was the first to break the silence. "'Shall I call Sally?' he said. "'Oh, no,' she quickly returned. "'We have given trouble enough already. We have no right here. But we are the sport of fate, and were obliged to come.' "'No right here,' said he, in surprise. "'None. I can't explain it now,' answered Helena. "'This kettle is very slow.' There was another pause. The proverbial dilatoriousness of watched pots was never more clearly exemplified. Helena's face was of that sort which seems to ask for assistance without the owner's knowledge, the very antipodes of Sally's, which was self-reliance expressed. Darton's eyes travelled from the kettle to Helena's face, then back to the kettle, then to the face for rather a longer time. "'So I am not to know anything of the mystery that has distracted me all the evening,' he said. "'How is it that a woman who refused me because, as I supposed, my position was not good enough for her taste, is found to be the wife of a man who certainly seems to be worse off than I?' "'He had the prior claim,' she said. "'What? You knew him at the time?' "'Yes, yes, please say no more,' she implored. "'Whatever my errors, I have paid for them during the last five years.' The heart of Darton was subject to sudden overflowings. He was kind to a fault. "'I am sorry for my soul,' he said, involuntarily approaching her. Helena withdrew a step or two, at which he became conscious of his movement, and quickly took his former place. Here he stood without speaking, and the little kettle began to sing. "'Well, you might have been my wife if you had chosen,' he said at last. "'But that's all past and gone. However, if you are in any trouble or poverty I shall be glad to be of service, and as your relation by marriage I shall have a right to be. Does your uncle know of your distress?' "'My uncle is dead. He left me without a farthing, and now we have two children to maintain.' "'What? Left you with nothing? How could he be so cruel as that? I disgraced myself in his eyes.' "'Now,' said Darton earnestly, 
Let me take care of the children, at least while you are so unsettled. You belong to another, so I cannot take care of you.' "'Yes, you can,' said a voice, and suddenly a third figure stood beside them. It was Sally. "'You can, since you seem to wish to,' she repeated. "'She no longer belongs to another. My poor brother is dead.' Her face was red, her eyes sparkled, and all the woman came to the front. "'I have heard it,' she went on to him passionately. "'You can protect her now as well as the children.' She turned then to her agitated sister-in-law. "'I heard something,' said Sally, in a gentle murmur, differing much from her previous passionate words. "'And I went into his room. It must have been the moment you left. He went off so quickly and weakly, and it was so unexpected, that I couldn't even leave to call you.' Darton was just able to gather from the confused discourse which followed that during his sleep by the fire this brother whom he had never seen had become worse, and that during Helena's absence for water the end had unexpectedly come. The two young women hastened upstairs, and he was again left alone. After standing there a short time he went to the front door and looked out, till softly closing it behind him he advanced and stood under the large sycamore tree. The stars were flickering coldly, and the dampness which had just descended upon the earth in rain now sent up a chill from it. Darton was in a strange position, and he felt it. The unexpected appearance in deep poverty of Helena, a young lady, daughter of a deceased naval officer, who had been brought up by her uncle, a solicitor, and had refused Darton in marriage years ago, the passionate, almost angry demeanour of Sally at discovering them, the abrupt announcement that Helena was a widow. All this coming together was a conjuncture difficult to cope with in a moment, and made him question whether he ought to leave the house or offer assistance. But for Sally's manner he would unhesitatingly have done the latter. He was still standing under the tree when the door in front of him opened and Mrs. Hall came out. She went round to the garden gate at the side without seeing him. Darton followed her, intending to speak. Pausing outside as if in thought, she proceeded to a spot where the sun came earliest in the springtime, and where the north wind never blew. It was where the row of beehives stood under the wall. Discerning her object, he waited till she had accomplished it. It was the universal custom thereabout to wake the bees by tapping at their hives whenever a death occurred in the household, under the belief that if this were not done the bees themselves would pine away and perish during the ensuing year. As soon as an interior buzzing responded to her tap at the first hive, Mrs. Hall went on to the second, and thus passed down the row. As soon as she came back he met her. "'What can I do in all this trouble, Mrs. Hall?' he said. "'Oh, nothing, thank you, nothing,' she said in a tearful voice, now just perceiving him. "'We have called Rebecca and her husband, and they will do everything necessary.' She told him in a few words the particulars of her son's arrival, broken in health, indeed at death's door, though they did not suspect it, and suggested, at the result of a conversation between her and her daughter, that the wedding should be postponed. "'Yes, of course,' said Darton. "'I think now to go straight to the inn and tell John's what has happened.' It was not till after he had shaken hands with her that he turned hesitatingly and added, "'Will you tell the mother of his children that, as they are now left fatherless, I shall be glad to take the eldest of them, if it will be of any convenience to her and to you.' Mrs. Hall promised that her son's widow should be told of the offer, and they parted. He retired down the rooty slope and disappeared in the direction of the inn, 
where he informed Johns of the circumstances. Meanwhile Mrs. Hall had entered the house. Sally was downstairs in the sitting-room alone, and her mother explained to her that Darton had readily assented to the postponement. "'No doubt he has,' said Sally, with sad emphasis. "'It is not put off for a week, or a month, or a year. I shall never marry him, and she will.' End of chapter 3